Hi, this is Steve Nerlick from Cheap Astronomy. And this is New Horizons. Here in the 21st century, it is satisfying to know that people born today are going to grow up as part of a species that has sent a probe, well, actually two probes if you count both the voyages, into interstellar space. Both probes were launched in 1977. Voyager 1 visited Jupiter and Saturn. Voyager 2 visited Uranus and Neptune as well. And both are now right out at the very edge of the heliopause. And both, unlike the older Pioneers 10 and 11, are still sending back data, and so are all set to become interstellar probes. Now that it's over 30 years since the Voyagers launched, it's hard to talk about them without it all sounding a bit commonplace. But before then, we hadn't launched any probes towards interstellar space. Not even clunky wooden ones with clockwork gears. Indeed, the whole idea of launching interstellar probes was completely unthought of for much of human history. While we were busy figuring out... How to make it across the savannah without getting eaten. How to keep the rain out. How to cross large stretches of ocean with a group of companions diverse enough to maintain a breeding population. How to grow crops in one location so that we could stay in one location. How to communicate all the things we were learning onto the next generation. How to dig stuff out of the ground and then melt, burn, oxidise and otherwise amalgamate it into new materials that hadn't existed beforehand. And these new materials made it possible to make new tools which could do things that no one had even thought of before. And the principles of science, technology, engineering and mathematics were established to carry us forward into whole new dimensions of tool use. And then suddenly, there we were in 1977, building probes and sending them off to interstellar space, as though that was just what people did. That was the Voyager generation, with their safari suits, platform shoes and ABBA. And ABBA on cassette tape at that. It's not hard to get nostalgic about a time when the media were more interested in a new movie called Star Wars than in yet another tedious derivative of the classic 1990s TV show Iron Chef. And don't get me wrong, Iron Chef was a great idea in the 1990s. I mean, who can forget the eggplant challenge? But, you know, 20 years on, isn't it just wearing a bit thin? All that said, though, maybe we haven't completely lost our way, because here in the 21st century, we have New Horizons, which, after it completes its primary mission, might well become yet another interstellar probe. This high-tech digital-age spacecraft was launched in 2006, its 12-year mission to explore the outer limits of the Kuiper Belt and beyond, including a flyby of the Pluto-Charon system, a system we now know to include two more moons, Nix and Hydra, and a recently discovered fourth moon, S-2011P1, which is just crying out for a new name. And of course, the 12-year mission is just the warranty period. 
the voyagers are both still partially functioning after more than 30 years of operation, so there's a good chance New Horizons could go that long and more after it's done with scooting around the Kuiper Belt. Like the Voyagers, New Horizons is moving at a solar system escape velocity, which is why it has the potential to become an interstellar probe. Now, you might think that being a 21st century spacecraft, New Horizons must be about the fastest thing around. But it's not so simple. Once you are flying this far out, how fast you go is more about achieving fuel-efficient gravity-assist manoeuvres than it is about rocketry. To set the record book straight, the fastest spacecraft ever was the 1970s vintage Helios 2, which, as the name suggests, was a solar probe was launched in 1976, and put into a very close solar orbit. And if you're going to maintain an orbit that is close to the sun, you have to move a heck of a lot faster than something that orbits the sun from further away. It's Kepler's third law. Helios 2 achieved a maximum velocity of around 70 kilometers a second during its mission. New Horizons is currently moving outwards at just 15 kilometers a second towards Pluto although as some indication of its more modern technology, New Horizons did achieve the fastest ever spacecraft launch velocity from Earth of 16.5 kilometres a second. But it gets progressively slowed down because it is flying outwards up the sides of the Sun's gravity well. The Helios 2 spacecraft achieved a much greater velocity by flying downwards into the Sun's gravity well. Similarly, the currently active MESSENGER spacecraft, now in orbit about Mercury, achieved velocities of over 60 kilometres a second while it chased Mercury around the Sun. You have probably realised by now that we are just fishing around for random factoids in this episode because New Horizons isn't there yet. It's due to do its closest point flyby of Pluto on the 14th of July 2015, but until then, it's just on a long coast through fairly empty space. We've sent probes on flybys past all the major planets already. Indeed, since MESSENGER went into orbit around Mercury in 2011, we have had spacecraft in orbit around all the planets except Uranus and Neptune. When Juno arrives at Jupiter in 2016, we will have spacecraft concurrently orbiting around all the planets except Uranus and Neptune. Indeed, if the U.S. economy gets back on its feet, a NASA mission to Uranus has been flagged for development sometime in the next 10 years. So, you know, pay your taxes and don't borrow money you can't pay back, and we can all get on with exploring the universe. Anyhow, come July 2015... Pluto will be the second ever dwarf planet we have sent a spacecraft to, because the Dawn spacecraft is going to get to Ceres in February 2015. Indeed, Dawn is even going to go into orbit around Ceres, although by then it will be getting close to the end of its useful mission life. When New Horizons flies by Pluto, its mission will just be getting started. During its flyby, it will make detailed observations of Pluto and its moons, which brings us to some more interesting factoids. The next two moons discovered after the largest moon, Charon, were discovered after New Horizons' launch and were called Nix and Hydra, with the N and the H acknowledging New Horizons. You probably know that there's a similar thing with Pluto. 
with a P and L, acknowledge Percival Lowell, who built a dedicated observatory and predicted where Pluto, then called Planet X, might be found. In this way, Lowell narrowed down the search area, which allowed Clyde Tombaugh, who was working at Lowell Observatory, to actually discover Pluto in 1930. What New Horizons does after its Pluto encounter is still in the planning phase. From Earth, we are still struggling to resolve objects of a Pluto or smaller size. And ideally, we want to find such targets that are roughly on a straight-line trajectory past Pluto. After all, New Horizons can only change its course so much without running out of fuel. We are yet to locate any such potential targets that will be in the right location between 2016 and 2020, the main phase of New Horizons' Kuiper Belt exploration period. If you want to help here, you can join the Ice Hunters project, which is checking sky survey images for signs of objects that have a proper motion against the background star field. This is pretty much how Clyde Tombaugh discovered Pluto. The main difference being that you can do it at home. Thanks for listening. This is Steve Nerlich from Cheap Astronomy, www.cheapastro.com. Cheap Astronomy offers an educational website where the horizon is only five kilometres away if you are standing at sea level, but it would be 111 kilometres away if you were standing on the 828-metre Burke Khalifa in Dubai. No ads, no profit, just good science. Bye! Indeed. Since Messenger went into orbit around Mercury... Bleh.